Welcome everyone to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash here with you, the CEO of Booktopia. And once again, another author with a brand new book came out last week. James Fitzgerald, Bulletproof Investing, Gaining Financial Control in Uncertain Times. Now, you couldn't get a better book for the, the climate and, and the world that we live in today. So welcome to the show, James. Uh, thank you, Tony, and uh, and I'm I'm honoured uh, and uh, really excited to be here talking to uh, a pioneer in Australian e-commerce. Uh, I'm sure you've had your own interesting stories over the past uh, twelve months, uh, to say the least. Yes, but I I must admit, though, bulletproof investing. Um, I don't think we've got a particularly track record of bulletproof. Um, <laughs> a lot of bullet holes, I think, along the way. <laughs> Um, but so I'm very, very, very interested. So you, you published by John Wiley. It's your first book and congratulations. It must be pretty exciting to see, uh, see your book out there and in bookshops. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was. It, uh, surreal. I, I launched it last week, uh, just across the road from you guys. I think you guys are in, uh, near Olympic park there in Sydney. I launched it there, uh, last Wednesday and, um, and yeah, it was surreal. In fact, the, the part that was most surreal is on the Sunday, I went into a bookstore, a physical bookstore, and um, I I was looking, I have to admit, I was looking for the book. I could say that I was looking for another book, but I was looking for my own uh, just to see if it was in there. And uh, and there was a guy reading the back of it. And uh, and I just, I, I didn't know what to do. I, um, I thought, do I say something? Do I? No, no. So I just kept walking. And then I thought, oh, you chicken, you should have said something. So then on the way out, I, I sort of walked past him and said, oh, I heard that's a really good book. Uh, you know, I really, really should buy it. And did he? It's real. Uh, I don't know. In, in, in all honesty, he started talking about the book and his thoughts on the chapter headings and uh, and the author and the the topic and, and all that. And I uh, I didn't know, do I say that I'm, I'm the author? It's sort of embarrassing. He's just launched into a, a bit of a semi-review. But uh, no, I said, look, I, I am the author. And I think we were both a little bit embarrassed. Um, I'm not sure whether he bought it or not. Who knows? But uh, maybe I'll be better next time if I'm in that situation. Yeah, well, my dad wrote wrote a book, um, and he's a guide at the Jewish Museum, and yeah. and uh, you know, if it wasn't for him telling people about his book, um, the three sales a week that he gets um, from from you know telling people at the end of the tour, um, yeah, he, sales would be zero or close to it. So, uh, I think I think uh, for anyone getting that. Um, that initial feedback, you're going to get it all, all the time. Authors do. People will email you or um, reach out to you. There'll be there'll be uh, candid reviews on the on the internet as well. But um, the the most important review of all is is either your parents or your English teacher. So um, I got to ask you because I've asked a few uh, first time authors, um, in particular. Uh, because you become subject matter experts, is there is there going to be some remark from an English teacher going, "You wrote a book"? Like, <laughs> can they believe? Can they even believe what they're seeing or hearing? Uh, or do they? Do you think that they'll go? Actually, no. English is one of my better subjects, so um, they'd go, "Good on you, mate. Well done." Certainly not the latter. Uh, I, I, I'm. I- I'm Facebook friends actually with my my year 11 12 English teacher which uh, I'm 31 now so that was that was sort of 14 years ago and uh, and I think he just uh, commented on my um, 
on on my uh, post where I, which I shared with my friends on Facebook, uh, and it was just shocked faces. So so I think that's probably probably says it all. I, I'm I'm not I've never been a great writer. I've always been better, you know, with um, speaking um, and and oral presentations. Um, and I guess what they might say if they've read it is that it feels like a conversation. So it's a probably um, you know, written to suit my style in a way where it's fairly informal, uh, not overly complicated vocabulary and, uh, and sort of feel like you're having a conversation with me, which some people have emailed me to say that. And, uh, and I guess I'm, I'm, I'm very happy if that's the way that it's, uh, it comes across. Mm. So when you, okay, so let's just talk a bit, a bit about the title bulletproof investing, because the way that sounds, it sounds like, um, you never make mistakes or or risks are minimized and any losses are very much controlled and you're you're maximizing your uh, for the upside and i think um that in itself if that's not going to be motivation enough to get people to um go into a shop and buy a book or or you know click a button and buy it online and get it delivered through booktopia or anyone else uh, then you know, you're crazy. So what's, what are the, some, without, you know, we don't, I never like to give too much away in terms of the book and, and in terms, I want people to go out and buy it. I don't want to uh, have all the answers here in our podcast, but um, what, what is it in your mind, bulletproof investing is as a fundamental mindset? Um, I, I guess the best way to to answer that is to sort of talk about the origins of the book and how how I came to to write it. Uh, about twelve months ago, my uncle, who uh, who who I work for, he's a uh, pub, well known author in his own right with a with a bestseller uh, in the real estate book section. He sat me down and said, "James, I think you should write a book." Uh, COVID was in full swing. We weren't able to fly anywhere. All of the, I guess, the duties running our business uh, weren't as demanding on our time. So he said, look, you've got a bit more time, write a book. And I thought, oh, I'm 30 years old. I can't write a book. Like, what would I, who would listen to anything that I've got to say? And he said, look, um, think about it. Maybe do a bit of mind mapping. Mind mapping is an exercise that that uh, he uses and, and has taught me to use uh, to, with success. He said, maybe just do a bit of a mind map on an A3, see where it goes. And so I did. I went away and probably spent uh, a few weeks just jotting down, had some ideas. Then then I'd be empty and I'd just go away and and then come back and and where where I sort of where where the central theme of that took me was probably 12 months earlier. And, and I guess that's probably the true origin of the book, which was in March, 2019. Uh, my dad died uh, suddenly, 59 years old, hit by a train. I was staying uh, at his place down in Melbourne. I'm, I live in Brisbane. He, he lived in Melbourne. I was staying with him at the time. And I get a knock on the door at 4am from two police officers to say, your dad's been hit by a train. He's, he's, he's dead. And, um, and and I don't know why that happened. Uh, you know, the, the reality is it's an accident. But you go through in the wake of that trying to understand and rationalize it. And uh, and I accept now that it, it was just an accident. Uh, but I think in, in doing so, what I've discovered is what certainly didn't cause it but didn't help it was that for the last 30 years of dad's life, he'd taken two sleeping tablets every single night just to get to sleep such was his anxiety around money 
And the fact that he attached so much of his own personal identity to his financial uh, well-being or otherwise in, in life. And the great irony of that is when he when he did uh, we we celebrated uh, and had a funeral to celebrate his life. There was more than three hundred people who came to his funeral, and not one of them could have given two bobs of what he did or didn't have when it comes to money. And then I sort of you know that that was a starting point. And where I went from there is I realised it is much more common to have anxiety around personal finances and money. Uh, you know, and, and my dad's situation is one that many Australians experience every single day. So I guess ultimately the book became a bit of a a book that I wrote for my dad when he was 30 years old through his 2030s and 40s as a way to take control of his personal finances Mm -hmm. and keep control. Uh, Because whilst ultimately it didn't cause his death or anything like that, uh, I just think, geez, he lived such a great life. Um, it's a real shame that he didn't get to live it that little bit longer and without the anxiety that, that seemed to cause him so much grief. Mm, what a, what a monumentally tough time for you to have to endure. Um, you know, we're all, those that are listening, I, I speak on behalf of them to, to say, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's, that's really gut wrenching being a dad and having a dad. My dad, as I said before, is, mm-hmm. is going to be 86 in a month. He still oh. jogs, um, um, does park runs for those that know what a park run is five kilometers yeah. every Saturday morning he, at 86 wow he does that and uh, and and my mum passed away um six years ago so, but he's still been um active so mm. yeah I can only imagine how how traumatic and how how um you know kind of sobering and and making you question you know everything really everything <laughs> Um, I mean, you've gone through it. It's just, uh, you know, and I, th- and I think a lot of people have grief. It doesn't discriminate. It, um, yeah. It's different for every person. Um, you know, the one thing I will say is that that it does get better over time, particularly if anyone's listening right now who, who's sort of going through something similar. It does get better over time. And, uh, and the one thing that I uh, can say personally that I'm grateful for is, you know, dad was, was just the best dad ever. Uh, never left anything uh, unspoken. Literally every single day, we spoke for half an hour, every single day, we're, we're best mates. And um, and every single day, he told me that he loved me and that he was proud of me. Mm. So ultimately, that helped me to sort of handle it and, and sort of move on best I can. Because mm. I, I, knew, I knew how he felt, where he stood. And, uh, and I guess I, I eventually accepted that and just became very grateful for the time I did have uh, with yeah. him. Yeah, fair call. So when you think about your dad's anxiety and did you, did you have to, um, at that time, well, did you have anxiety before your dad passed away and you've been able to now, um, catch yourself and, and release that? Or were you, would, were you already less anxious around money, um, before, before then for all the years that you were growing up? How, how has that kind of played out for you? Yeah, so uh, my, my own backstory is, is I'm one of three uh, born on the Gold Coast, live in Brisbane today. Um, at, at school, you know, the English teachers, all the teachers would say that kid just loves sport. He, he sort of, you know, had to go to school to be able to engage in all the sport activities. So I was sort of more, more that way inclined. Um, did okay in school and, and did well enough to be able to study uh, law and accounting uh, at, at Bond University here on the Gold Coast. Um, became a lawyer. And then 10 years ago, I 
decided to come and do two weeks work experience with my uncle. He's a, a well-known property identity, self-made millionaire, got the best-selling book on real estate, someone who's a, a bit of a, uh, you know, a Midas touch type of uh, entrepreneur when it comes to money and real estate. And uh, I didn't really know why at the time, but I came in for two weeks work experience and never left. So I've been here 11 years now and I'm not not rich by any means, but um, I have had the benefit over the past 10, 11 years to learn how to get control of my money. My wife and I, you know, we, we've got our own home. We've got five investment properties that are all sort of cash flow positive and you know, not rich, but certainly at a point where I think we're very lucky, where we never have to worry about money and, and won't for the rest of our lives, which uh, just required doing things a little bit different. Uh, what I think ultimately it is, is just being a bit smarter in terms of what you do with your money than, than, and, and having sort of certain mindset and habits uh, when it comes to those sorts of things. So that's interesting. So because there's an, one aspect to to this book, Bulletproof Investing, um, where, I mean, most people know that Booktopia is listed on the ASX. And we did that in December last year. So at the time of this recording, that's six months ago. It was an interesting journey of, of, of a company that um, started on $10 a day and, and grew to this year $217 million in revenue. Now, um, there's a lot of people that we would that we have dealt with in the investment community, capital markets. Um, you know, the the pitches and the presentations to to fund managers and to wealthy individuals, etc. All that you do. Um, how who's this book? Who's this book um, written for? Because it sounds like the way that you just talked about it. Then it's like, hold on a second. This is really not for those guys who are playing the capital markets. It's for the everyday Aussie who is just trying to get to that point where you've got your house paid off, that you've got a, a good investment portfolio where you just said, you know, at the, the age of 31, you yeah. don't have to worry about money. So um, just yeah, let's just talk about that because I think that's important yeah. in terms of the buyer and who buys it. So the reality of what they're buying what they get when they read your book versus the expectation um, mm. is is clear. Well, ultimately, I've written it for my generation, which which is you know people that I think I can relate to. So someone you know twenty to forty, forty five, um, and I, I think it's people that uh, might be a little bit anxious about money, might not necessarily be anxious about money, but just how they can get themselves to the point where they don't have to worry about money. It's still a worry even though they might sort of have their own home, um, might be have aspirations to get into the home market, building their savings. It's anyone who really just wants to get themselves to the point where they never worry about money. Um, that doesn't mean you're not going to have a lot of other worries in life. Uh, you know, life's, life's a bit of a funny old game. But, uh, but I think, you know, of all the worries that we do have, mental illness, anxiety, they're, they're its own pandemic in a way where, you know, it's only going to get harder over the next decade. We're about to hit trillion dollars in government debt. The housing market's more and more unaffordable by the, by the, the month. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to get ahead, but it can be done. And I guess this book is for someone 
to uh, give them the platform and uh, a bit of a method that they can follow so that they can do it in a way that doesn't take unnecessary risk, doesn't um, you know involve them investing to then have further anxiety, just a very safe, conservative approach to building their uh, position in life slowly over time. That, that, that ultimately is what the book will, will speak to, I think. Mm. So, James, when you, when you think about all the people that you meet and who this is written for, because the pre- prescription, you do this, you do that, um, have patience, um, follow the follow the model. You'll end up getting where you get. Um, sometimes can be a little boring, but it, as you say, it's bulletproof. Um, versus the belief systems that people have about money, um, for whatever reasons, you know, money is the root of all evil. Um, uh, anything any kind of those sayings that have that exist out there is it is it 90 percent dealing with a belief system values that um have been handed down from your parents or from friends or for within themselves versus just getting on with it like how 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 much of it is uncoupling and 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 letting go of of beliefs that are actually never going to get them to the position that you're you know you're encouraging everyone to get to um i think t- two things to that the the first one is uh just because today i don't have anxiety about money doesn't mean that that that's always been the case um you know my own anxiety point you asked the question earlier have i had it absolutely um you know when 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 i went through my university i remember going out to start law and accounting, or in fact, I started in law, got halfway through and said to uh, my dad, who I was living with at the time, I said, hey, dad, I'm thinking of doing accounting. I'm, I'm just, as much as I love the law, I don't think I'm that good at it. And I wouldn't mind playing a little bit more to my strengths in accounting. He said, oh, you should absolutely do that. I said, all right. I said, but uh, the thing is, it's going to cost more money and it's going to go outside of the government assistance. Can we afford it? He said, yeah, yeah, don't worry about that. That's fine. Okay. So uh, I did that. And then uh, roughly a year a year and a bit later, I uh, came home one day and, and I got the bill for the next semester's tuition, which was outside of the, the fee help, the government fee help. I said, hey, dad, here's the bill. It's 12,000 bucks. Can, can you um, arrange payment? He said, oh, mate, I don't have that money. And I, and, and, and I being, I think I was 20 years old at the time, naive and probably a little bit entitled thought this wasn't my problem. It was my problem. It was my obligation. It was my commitment. But for me, you know, that was a bit of an awakening where I said, oh, okay, geez, it's not just this endless tree of money. But I think at the same time, it's a bit of a taboo subject. You know, dad was going through his second bankruptcy at the time. Uh, he and mum had split uh, four or five years earlier. So they, they had the added obligation now of two different households and two different um, levels of expenses. And I was completely naive to that. And it's it's sort of not something that I think many parents talk to about their kids. We ended up solving it, um, getting a loan from one of the banks, 11% per annum, accumulating over three years that then had to be paid back three years into or over three years once I started working. So I guess I kicked the can down the road until I was working full time when I started to have to pay that loan back. And I had no idea 
how money worked. And I'd studied accounting. I had an accounting degree, but it's different when it's your own finances, you know, how much money comes in. You've got all these new expenses associated with life. Uh, you've got unlimited ways to spend money, uh, even more so today than 10 years ago when, when I was sort of going through this. It's so easy to spend money today with, uh, you know, pay pass, the proliferation of payday lending services and, and all those sorts of things. So I, th- I think, you know, that that was my own anxiety point. And going back to it, I, I think it's just one of those things where we don't talk about it. And I had to rip off the Band-Aid probably two or three times writing this book because I sat down with mom and she told me stuff that I had no idea about. You know, dad's, dad had had a gambling problem when we, when I was five years old that sort of caused us to go bankrupt the first time. They bought and owned their own home four different times over the years, got themselves in positions of control, but ultimately lost that control just because of probably trying to take shortcuts more, more than anything. And so, so I guess, you know, part of, part of it is how do you get taught it? And inevitably you get taught by your parents to the extent they're willing to share. And, and sometimes that leaves a few blind spots, I think. Mm. So, and the belief systems then, like when you talk to people um, about this and they're, they're, you know, like, oh, I can't, or um, I only wish, like hiding behind all of that, is there, is there, like, does getting, I guess the question is, does getting um, on, you know, on the track to doing what you prescribe to do to become, financially independent help um, um, uh, kind of break down those beliefs and and leave them behind or like you know the way that you described about what happened to your parents there's uh, there's the belief system that they are going to um, that they eventually they're going to lose it all um, you you make money and then you you it's a you gamble at your risk and then and then it's it's lost for Mm. For, for some, they've drawn a line in the sand. They are never going to risk that position. So mm. I guess my, my experience is most, I guess why I'm asking is mostly it's around beliefs for me and that you're mostly dealing with people's um, um, in, in NLP, which I did some training, um, geez, now 25 years ago. Um, I'm not practicing it, but I remember some of the things they, you're either m- there's many things in NLP. Um, it's a, it's, a, it's the science of communication or the study of communication. And one of the things is people move away from things or move towards things. And moving away from poverty, or move as one of the you know the lines, moving away from poverty means that you're not moving towards financial independence and abundance. And that whole thinking, when you you're always looking at poverty away away, and then eventually you get drawn back to it because you've got all you've got is your focus on that. That's what I'm curious in terms of um, your own thoughts. Maybe they're, mm. you, you kind of dive into them here, into the book. A hundred percent. I think, um, f- first of all, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Getting ahead in life is fairly simple. And a lot of people, I'm sure, you know, even just the friends and family and a few people who have emailed me have said everything that you've laid out is fairly simple. And I write back to them and say, it's simple, but it's not easy. Most people don't do that, do the, the simple things that I put in this book. And, you know, if I take one example, spend less than you earn, that's easy in principle, but most people don't do it. 
In fact, one, one in th- one in uh, two Australians apparently live payday to payday. So the numbers are that 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 people don't because it's not an easy thing to do. And I think that is a bit of a you know something that we just inherit generation to generation is is we think well when we earn more money we'll be able to save more but in fact when we earn more money we just spend more that that's what happens in reality um second one you know from a um maybe behavioral point of view is i think a lot of people have a misconception that you invest when you have paid off your own home or you invest once you have um gotten to the point where your mortgage is at a certain level what a lot of people don't realize is that you can do one and and the other at the same time and that they actually complement each other. And, and that, you know, that's around finding little ways to reduce your tax, um, but also just be a little bit smarter. Uh, and, and and they're things that that I won't go into here because I spent 150 odd pages trying to explain all that. Mm-hmm. And I think that the most common one, in my opinion, is a lot of people go through stages in their life where they've got control, but then lose it. And that to me comes down to your habits and, and, and habits, you know, we all have habits, some good and, and some bad. And uh, I think there's a misconception that you can get rid of a bad habit, but you can't, you have to replace a bad habit with a, another good habit. And that, that to me is a big part of the book's dedicated to that. The mindset of those who are successful when it comes to not being able or not having to worry about money, a lot of it comes down to how they maintain control. A lot of people get under control, but how do you maintain that control? I think that comes down to you know little habits and, and, and the way that you need to think about your personal finances, the way you navigate life. Um, and, and so so I guess that that's the best way I know to answer your questions. You may have a more technical answer from a, you know, citing some of the, the, the rules on NLP. I know that that's a, a very popular way to understand behavioral patterns. Uh, that to me is the practical way, what, what I've sort of just talked about. Mm, yeah. So um, what, I mean, what, do you, what do you think, Tony? Like what's your, your view? You would, uh, you know, you would have seen a lot of people in business at, at the very least who've had successful businesses and then, fallen away or, or fallen off the perch what 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 do you think causes it um in business and i've talked about this in other podcasts but not everyone listens to everyone so i will uh re-mention it so when when i did my first personal development workshop money and you with robert kiyosaki um he the guy that wrote rich dad poor dad mm. he um i went because it was it said money but it was ended up being more about you um, than the money. And I was a, I was a recruitment consultant with 15 uh, IT contractors working for me at the time in the company that I worked for. And uh, at that time in the early nineties, I would get to 15 contractors and then I dropped back down to 11 or 10 and then back up to 15 and then back down to 10, 11, back up to 15. And I had this kind of glass ceiling around, around where I was, you know, what I was getting to and then, and then falling back. And, I did that course and within three months I was at 30 contractors because I had had some realizations around who, who I was and how I was operating and perhaps some of those habits that weren't serving me, et cetera. And then I got stuck at 30 and then I dropped back down to 24 or 23, back up to 30 and back. And then I did another workshop and then I had another realization and more breakthroughs and more you know, insights to myself. And I got to 45 
and then I dropped back. And then I kept doing more and more work on myself and I ended up at 110 contractors. So by, by, by working on myself, my income, it was impacted because I had, uh, I had kind of challenged some of the belief systems and values that I, that I thought I was, who I was, what I was worth. When I started Booktopia on my first company, I had already got to the point where I realized that my business is not me. And particular with Booktopia, had I um, um, overlaid my own values and belief systems about who I thought, think I am and who I was, Booktopia wouldn't be a $217 million company. It would be probably a $50 million or a $60 million company because that's who I think I am and who I was worth. So the fact that I always saw the company as separate to me and treated it as a separate organism like a child that needs nourishing, education, um, um, time off, holiday, break, um, all of those things to, to nourish the business that's how I see it. And I think it's very important. It really comes the same down to money and your, your properties and your, your kids and their, their, your kids, you know, success at school or the, it's sport, um, your sporting team, even though my best mate reckons he's the Richmond Tigers, he, he's not the Richmond Tigers. Um, and, and so, uh, when Booktopia got listed on the ASX, it was Booktopia that oh, I'm a shareholder, but, it was the company that got listed when it wins the Telstra Business Awards. It's the company that wins the awards, not me. And and I think that's where um, if people can think about their investment portfolio, that it's actually not them. It's a bunch of houses or um, businesses or parking lots or whatever they're whatever they're putting their money into. Um, it's it's their money working for them. And I think. Um, that that's the one thing that I've found in terms of um, in terms of separation of identity, because um, then I can still have my own foibles and my own judgments and my own belief systems about myself, but it's not about business. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's human nature, and I think the same maxima pro- applies to people with their own personal finances. You're going to get to a point where you are successful, and you're going to think you don't deserve it, and you don't do it consciously, but subconsciously you find a way to self-sabotage and, and, and the way that you do that might be, might be gambling. It might be uh, taking on a risk that you, you, you shouldn't. It might be trying to diversify and, and go into a market that you don't know. It might be trying to do it on your own. Um, you know, we, we take these risks subconsciously, I think, because we feel that we don't deserve the success that we've got. And I think mm-hmm. the solution to that is we've got to fall back on habits and discipline, you know, like, like, um, uh, John, my uncle, who, who is my mentor, he says, you know, the journey of a thousand miles starts with the first step. And the key is just taking it one step at a time. Every now and then you're going to look up and see how far you've come. You might be halfway up the mountain and it's a glorious view, but you shouldn't stay there for too long. Get back on the trail one step at a time, one step at a time. And, and I think, you know, that, that, that would be true when it comes to people with their own finances. I'm sure it's true when it comes to, your business, you know, you would have had to have had an enormous amount of discipline. There'd be so many daily habits within your organization that would be followed day in, day out, uh, regardless of the weather or how good or bad the company's going. And I think that ultimately is is what causes people to maintain control and keep their success and, and sort of keep building on it. Mm. I think like for me, I was uh, bankrupt 
um, not because of business, but because I'd invested in the 90s in a um, scheme that the government had at the time was invest in films and you got a tax break. And then they decided to stop that and they decided to um, retrospectively go back seven years and say, um, no, we've decided to not not only not stop that, but you're going to have to pay it all back. And I didn't have the money because I'd sold my house and put everything into my business. So, so mm-hmm. it was, it, it, it's those experiences when you, when you lose everything and your dad went through that, or your mum and dad went through that, um, to then be able to build your intuition and, and reflection. The, the one thing um, I think everyone needs to consider um, is to have a, a good understanding of your risk appetite. And um, my wife and I uh, love risk in terms of investing, uh, the idea of it, but uh, to have a broad a spectrum of very, various types of risks. Uh, so some are very, very boring. They deliver a 5% uh, return. That's nothing spectacular, but um, the, the actual, actual assets uh, are very highly protected. And then you have um, a, a you know pie chart of how you'd like to have that um, the, those those investments that someone may end up being 10x or 100x of what you invested in, and you keep that proportionate to everything else. That way, you have some exciting investments that you hope are really going to um, you know, pop open the champagnes, and others that you um, are quite boring because every week a few hundred dollars comes into your bank account or every month, a few hundred dollars. It's as, as boring as that. I'm sure that's uh, very much a part of your uh, recipe that you've, you're instructing people who are going to buy your book. Would- oh, I think I might perhaps be at the other end of the spectrum. I'm, 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 I'm a lawyer and accountant by background. So other than an engineer, I don't think you get much more conservative and cautious uh, th- than that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think I was raised to see debt as a four letter word. Um, to understand the difference between good and bad debt is is, is important, uh, you know, and that's a, that's talked about. Um, and then and then from there, I, I think I don't actually talk about real estate. I keep it fairly asset um, generic uh, because I think there's many ways that you can grow your your wealth and get ahead in life. Uh, I think ultimately, though, the three things that that you need to do is you need to you need to invest in something that will grow in value uh, ultimately. And and I I personally. I like to know why. Some people will say, "Well, you know, uh, what about?" And I'm, I'm not. I'm just using an example. You know, cryptocurrency, or or, or, or there's a few others out there where I, I struggle to rash, rationally understand why it grows in value. And I think if you're going to be investing, particularly if you're conservative and cautious like I am, you want to know. You don't want to be an expert in it. You don't need to be, but you want to know at least the fundamental reasons why it's going to grow in value. Um, and then the second one, which I'm sure as a business owner you can attest to more than anyone, is cash flow. Cash flow is the biggest risk you've got when it comes to investing, and you cannot eliminate it. It's always going to be there. You've just got to manage it. And that was something that that was probably the thing I found hardest to wrap my head around when, when I was sort of starting out. Is just how to manage the cash flow piece, and then ultimately, you know, the, the real secret sauce when it comes to investing is compound growth. And it's something that pays you, um, you know, the richest dividends at the back end. The longer you hold it and the, the longer longer term your strategy can be, 
the the better the results and outcomes are going to be. And again, you've probably got your own story on that. You know, I'm sure you don't go from, uh, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of revenue to 17, 18 and going up to $20 million worth of revenue overnight. It, it, it's compounded over time. Might've had small jumps at the start and bigger jumps towards the end. Um, and, and I think that's something psychologically that we struggle to understand is we've been taught to think simple, which is buy, sell, buy, sell. Compound growth, although we learn about it, the practical nature of it and how it can benefit us is something that we sort of miss a little bit in, in terms of the school and, and tertiary uh, education system. So, you know, that to me is it's the most important part is, is having that, that strategy that will give you compound growth over time um, because that, that really, the top 1% of all successful people, they all swear by it. Yeah, I, I agree with you on compounding interest. I know that I was reminded recently the quote from Albert Einstein, compound interest, the, the, uh, the most um, important uh, thing in the universe or something. It's something like that. Um, yeah, the eighth wonder of the world. Yeah, is that what it, yeah, is? Yeah, the eighth like wonder that. of the world. Yeah, so um, absolutely. And more people, if anyone wants to um, get some... Yeah, you know, I get I get some more kind of um, I would I would describe it as kind of diamonds in your backpack or something to understand and just sit and contemplate that and meditate on compound interest and how that operates and works. Um, from my perspective, is super super important. Um, <laughs> it's unbelievable how how things can end up getting three percent. But if you're getting three percent every week, what that might work out over a year is just astonishing. Um, um, it's really, really, really important to understand. So, in, in, James, in terms of um, some of the other things that perhaps we haven't talked about or covered that you would think that we might want to talk about um, for those that are uh, motivated now, and even if, whether you're going to buy the book or not buy the book, um, we hope you do, of course, um, go into your local bookstore. And if they don't have it, ask for it because then they'll get it in. That's important. Um, or online, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that's how that's how this works. Um, yeah. But is there anything that you think that we haven't touched on today that you wanted to make sure we talked about? Uh, no, uh, other than to say that you know I wrote the book for people that might even be intimidated by you know a book that speaks to wealth or or, or getting ahead. You know, being bulletproof to me uh, is is having a strategy uh, and a frame of mind that allows you to get ahead in a way where you don't go one step forward to go two step backwards. And, and, you know, the way that I really made a conscious effort to set the book out is to tell people stories and help them relate uh, my own stories, mom and dad's stories, uh, my uncle's story. Uh, you know, what, 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 why, why did certain things go right? Certain things go wrong. There's so much that we can learn. And, and, and I'm talking to someone who literally has thousands and thousands of books, you know, that there's so much out there. Uh, and really though, the, the core themes and, and, and the core, uh, messages in terms of having control of your money have been there for a long time. You know, richest man in Babylon is one of the oldest, uh, but still most well-regarded books on personal finance. It was written in the thirties, uh, rich dad, poor dad written in the, in the nineties, you know, that they've been around a while, but, uh, you know, they're, they're really timeless in terms of the things that they teach us. Um, you know, and I think, uh, 
those books certainly had a, a big influence on, on on where I tried to take this book. Uh, ultimately, you know, I think, uh, you know, you don't have to want to be rich. You could use everything in my book to become rich. Uh, but what I advocate strongly for is getting control and getting yourself into the position where you don't worry about money. Uh, because, you know, life doesn't mean that life's going to be a breeze for you. Uh, and life, you know, money's not the be all end all when it comes to life, but it does make life a little bit easier to navigate if, if you don't have that worry and that pressure. And, uh, and, and what I can advocate very strongly for is, is sleeping like a baby every night. Cause that's not one of your worries. Uh, you know, Tony, that, that'd be my, my takeaway. Can I, can I ask you a question before we do go? I meant to ask it earlier. I would like to know what your English teacher would say, given uh, that you now, I, I assume Booktopia is the number one uh, online bookseller in Australia. What would your English teacher say, uh, knowing that, that that's uh, a mantle that you occupy today? Um, great question. Uh, not uh, We're actually the biggest book retailer in Australia, not even, Ooh, um, there you go. Not even online. Um, well, my English teacher, my Mr. Kelly, my year four primary school said uh, something like it wasn't it wasn't exactly this, but his written expression is so poor that um, it didn't say like he'll never amount to much. It didn't say that, but um, there's you know, he's got a lot of work to do. So that that was that was when I was in primary school. I think um, even in high school, um, most of most of the teachers would be astonished, um, especially probably economics. I mean, I got, I got, I got eighty in maths, um, in, uh, two unit maths, but I think English um, may have been fifty, and then modern history thirty two or something. So it's more. I think you know one of my best mates from school. He even he goes, you know, how did that kid from high school end up? you know, who you are today, what the hell, how, how, how did you even get here? He just cannot, there was no, there was no signs of that. I was not that, I guess, in school, I was quite young. I was the young, one of the youngest, second youngest in my year. Um, I grew another six inches after I left high school. So um, there was quite a lot of um, immaturity of me being in, in school, but um, I can say that it is because I, I did a lot of personal development. I worked on myself. I challenged my beliefs. I let go of a lot of things. I, I thought about it a lot. I wrote in my journals a lot. And, and so I, I was on a bit of a quest. And, and that is a fundamentally how I really ended up where I am today and, and, and who I am. So that's what I encourage people. That's the most fun of all, uh, to, to challenge yourself and to and be the better version. One of the things that um, Robert Kiyosaki did say in one of the courses, probably the first one I heard him speak, the best return on investment you can make is investing in yourself. And that's why buying, you know, James's book, <laughs> uh, Bulletproof Investing, Gaining Financial Control in Uncertain Times, uh, if anyone who's listening today, amongst all the other things that you can do, it's, it's your thinking that does it. It's not because someone else gave you a gift. Sure, James's uncle uh, did give him a job in his company, but other people were given jobs in, in his company. 
um, James was open to to being mentored and to learn and to 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 challenge himself. And this is the thing that everyone needs to everyone needs to think about and consider. It's about really um, investing in yourself because you'll get the best ROI of all um, with your friendships uh, as a parent, um, as a, as a son or daughter friend um that's to me the the key so good okay, question I, I like being i like being asked questions on my podcast uh, sorry i did i just i had to i had to ask because uh it's an even it's an interesting question for me to answer but it's a very very interesting question for you to answer given uh you know your your own uh experience so Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, that $25 that it will cost for Bulletproof Investing might even be a little bit cheaper on Booktopia is uh, a, a an investment that will compound over time, by the way. If yeah, you, that's right. Uh, yeah. Compound over time. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Com- compound reading. Um, yeah, compound reading. The more you read it, the more it compounds. Yep. So we wish you all the best, James. Congratulations on the book and thanks for coming on, on Plugged and Unplanned. And we look forward to hearing of all the other um, things that you get to accomplish in uh, many, many more years. Um, and of course, we all know that your dad would be super, super proud of you. He was and he is. Thank you, Tony. All the best. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au